Welcome to Upfront. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. Women's football weekend delivered and then some. Drama at the bottom of the table, drama in the North London derby. And yes, Man City have finally toppled the Giants. Chelsea losing a game. Who'd have thought it? Who'd have thought it? Uh, It's all left us asking, is this the best WSL title race we've ever seen? Plus, Matt Beard wants derbies in women's football to be friendly and nice. Is he right? Joining us today on the show to run through it all is women's football correspondent from the Daily Mail, Catherine Batty. Welcome to the pod. Welcome. Thank you for having me, guys. No, it's lovely to have you down. It's lovely also. It's just nice to be in the studio back again, isn't it? I've missed our little spot, yeah. Yeah, it's been really great. And having our guest in the studio with us is extra special. Absolutely massive. I mean, what what are your, what are your thoughts on the studio so far, Catherine? I mean, is it everything you thought it would be and more? I've just noticed a little trophy in the corner. I don't know what that's for, but I'm assuming it's, it's us. Ours. Yeah, yeah yes. you've won an award for something. Just I being assume. the best. Yeah. It's, it's one of a number, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we could only fit um, that one in here at the moment. Uh, right, we'd be. I mean, we better get on. To Speaking the big of stuff. trophies, oh. <laughs> Oh, you've segued for me. That's fantastic. We make such a good partnership. Uh, The title race, obviously now wide open. What a spicy weekend it was. Man City beat Chelsea 2-0 to blow the race wide open. I mean, on no better weekend than women's football weekend. Uh, I mean, two cracking goals in top bins for Man City. The last time Chelsea actually conceded two in the opening half, a half hour of a WSL game was against Man City in February in 2019. Wow. Um, I mean, Catherine, Rach, you were both at the game. Catherine, what were your thoughts on it? Because this just, this isn't a Chelsea that we thought would be turning up this weekend. No, they'd had had such a high beating Lyon in the Champions League, obviously earlier in the week. I kind of thought they would carry that momentum into the Manchester City game, but... It was the opposite, really. I mean, Man City, we know they had to win. Gareth Taylor actually said, you know, before the game, we've got to win this game to have any chance of winning the league. And you could tell that from, you know, from the first whistle, really. And, and yeah, they definitely deserve to go 2-0 up. Um, you know, Chelsea just didn't really kind of have any answers after that either. Never really thought they were going to get back into the game. Um, City managed it very well in the second half. So very much deserved three points. And as you say, it blows the title ways wide open. I thought it was interesting. Like when you look at the stats, Chelsea had more shots on target than Man City did, mm-hmm. which seems mad. Now, I think a few of them were kind of tame shots, but it just didn't look like the Chelsea we're used to seeing. They they weren't very good at problem solving on the pitch. Um, it felt like they kind of kept doing things that weren't really working, which was a bit frustrating. You know, they kept trying to play it out from the back. That wasn't really working. Um, and then you saw... Emma Hayes makes some quite like dramatic changes very early on in like the 30, what, the 35th minute or so? Yeah, just before half time. Yeah, hooking off Lauren James and Sophie Ingle, which to me, that's so telling. Like it just feels like it gives the opposition a big boost because you're like, okay, they're really stressing now. It kind of, I imagine for the players on the pitch and the players coming off says, you're not doing a good enough job and I don't feel like you're going to be able to turn this round, which Mm. was a surprise because... Emma Hayes talks a lot about the trust she has in her players. Um, so that was really telling. And it's the second time we've seen her do it this season. She did it in the Conte Cup final and it didn't work then either. So it just, yeah, it looked like a little bit of a lost Chelsea, which we're not used to seeing. And it kind of, you know, like they had one eye on that Champions League second leg against Lyon. And that was kind of taking their focus as well. And of course, you do have to talk about the fact that they have played a number of games. They've played, what, three games in a week, but they do have injuries. But we didn't give Man City that kind of 
that much leeway last season when they were struggling with injuries because of the quality they had in the team. And the same can be said for Chelsea. I mean, do we think that actually this is a chink in the Chelsea armour? I mean, you always say Chelsea, they're mentality monsters, even when they're not producing, you know, incredible gameplay, actually they just grind out the result anyway. But this was kind of testament to the fact that actually that didn't happen this time. Do you think it's kind of got in their head a little bit, this creeping sense that this may not be their year? They suffered the defeat with the Conti Cup. Obviously, you know, it was a really difficult game against Lyon. Now they're going, I mean, if they progress in the Champions League, I think they've got those semi-final matches on the 22nd and 29th of April, right in the midst of obviously vying for this title race. You know, other competitors, I mean, Man City don't have those kind of fixtures to uh, to really navigate. So do we think actually this is probably the, this looks like a bit of a shaky end of the season for Chelsea, which we don't really see that often. I mean, yeah, Catherine, what are your thoughts on? Yeah, usually this is a time where Chelsea really kind of find their rhythm and find their groove. You know, when they, um, I think they drew nil-nil with Arsenal last season, they didn't lose a game from that point. I don't think Arsenal did either, but getting that, you know, avoiding defeat to Arsenal that night meant that basically if they won every game, which they did, they would win the title. And this season, you just, you're not 100% sure whether they're going to do it. I've not been massively impressed by Chelsea in many games this season. I actually thought the game against Lyon was probably one of their best performances of the season. I think they've won a lot of games kind of just dragging themselves over the line without kind of being that fantastic team that we're used to seeing. And now maybe it's catching up with them a little bit. I think it caught up with them in the Conti Cup final and it's catching up with them in the big games. You you still expect them to win the games against teams below them in the table. I think obviously they beat Manchester United. I think United probably should have won that game. Had a lot of possession, just didn't really do enough with it. Obviously had two penalties, probably should have been given. Um, and it just feels like Chelsea maybe qu- aren't quite those mentality monsters that we're used to seeing and whether that is partly because there is a bit of tiredness in there I mean the amount of football that Sam Kerr's played she's got so many goals last season she's still having a good season now she's not quite hitting those numbers that she hit last season and she's not really got much support from the people behind her you know there's no Fran Kirby there's no Penil Harder um, Guru Wrighton's chipping in with a few but you know the goal supply from elsewhere is not really kind of coming and we're not seeing Chelsea score as many as they did last season as well so there are a few issues there and you know I think this Leon game is going to be huge for them because if they do lose that it's you know is that going to derail them or on the flip side if they win that is that going to give them the momentum to kind of go forward and now with maybe a kind of running of fixtures than some of the other teams? I think Chelsea's only well not only focus but their biggest focus is Champions League it's the ultimate for them and that's kind of telling um they probably said you know if we lose this match it's not the end of the world in the WSL we've got a game in hand if we win our game in hand we're back on top right so maybe that they took their eye off the ball slightly um and they didn't kind of go in with that sense of um, this is a must win game um and i think that that one eye on the the next leg of the Champions League as I said earlier, was was quite telling. Um, I think it was Amy, was it last week, talking about that this doesn't feel as well like the most cohesive Chelsea team that we've seen. We're so used to them being, linking up so well, like knowing each other so well, being such a force on and off the pitch and it feels like maybe that's not necessarily the case this season either. So it's interesting. I, I still think that they have the experience to get them over the line. Um. But yeah, I think what you said at the beginning, the, the the top of the show, this is definitely the most exciting end we're going to have to a season. 100%. I think, um, I mean, 
this is different for Chelsea, I suppose. This end of the season is very different. It's still obviously Chelsea's league to lose, essentially, because they've got those that, that game in hand. But, I mean, they are starting to spend now a large part of the season that looking up at the table, the Man United, the Man, um, Man City, obviously Arsenal in and around it. So I do feel like Chelsea aren't just, it's not just one person they've got to catch this year, it's two. But we'll touch on that in a little bit later because I do think we have to give a bit of a shout out to, to Man City. I mean, we keep giving, well, we have previously given Gareth Taylor a, a bit of a bit of a hard hard shoulder, uh, and rightly so. Uh, but he seems to be pulling it out of the bag. I mean, Man City comeback queens this season. I mean, lost the first two games of the season, were winless against Chelsea in the last eleven meetings. Taylor in December insisted that Man City could win the league if they won all of their games in the second half of the season, and they now have six wins and a draw and a monster bashing under their belt. I mean, do we think actually? Man City could be the new favourites. Um, I think we always thought Man City were going to be in and around that top. I, I don't think we, it's fair, we didn't think they were going to win the league. They still absolutely can. But equally, I wouldn't put too much on this result either. You know, they did just lose to Aston Villa in the FA Cup. Um, Are we they, all just getting a bit carried away about this one no, I just No, I just think sometimes <laughs> we do have a habit of like making things out of a single result or, you know, or we kind of forget about the fact that they didn't play well against Brighton. They were lucky to get that win. You know, they beat Leicester 2-0 or West Ham 1-0, you know, drop points against United. It's not like they've been dominating. And that's probably why we keep saying they've been quietly going about their business because it hasn't been, you know, really, really impressive performances and, and really high scorelines. Um, so I, I just would say I wouldn't get carried away um, because I think with City... They really used, were able to utilise their strengths against Chelsea. They, Chelsea just did not manage their wing players at all. Chloe Kelly, Lauren Hemp were free. Had it felt like they had free reign to to get into the box. So, if you close those options off, that's where we see City kind of struggle to find, you know, alternatives. Um, so I think it's great for them. I still, you know, they're definitely going to be causing huge problems. They can still win it. Everyone's going to be looking at each other. It's not like anyone's going to look at it and say, oh they won't win it. You know, they're still going to cause huge problems. I just wouldn't kind of put everything on this one result. Okay. All right. I'm not but I'm still giving Gareth Taylor his dues because it's been brilliant what they've done. You know, they had so many changes over the over the season. And I think players like Yui Hasegawa has made that role her own. She's not come in and replaced Kira Wall. She's come in and, and put her own stamp on the on the team. And she's been fantastic for them this season. I mean, you've got to also give credit to Bunny Shaw. I mean, she seems to be single-handedly kind of... Well, not single-handedly. That's a bit That's a bit rough, isn't it? That's a bit mean. But she does seem to be picking them up from a This is what I mean place. about, you know, when you look back at some of these results and some of these games, you know, mm. there's it's more to it than just you've picked up three points. So sometimes I think we need to kind of look a little bit deeper. Okay, well, I mean, we've got to mention the fact that I do think... I mean, this is my take. I think it's the spiciest WSL title race that we've seen. I won't say forever. But I will say for a very bloody long time, like obviously years previously, it's always been Chelsea Arsenal, Chelsea Man City. It's always been a two horse race. This year, there's four bloody big horses in and around that trophy. And I just think, um, yeah, it's the first time we've kind of seen that. And obviously Man United now being the sort of, it's their first real try for that title spot. Obviously people are doubting whether they've actually got it in them this year. But I mean, is this, I mean, Catherine, do you think it's the spiciest thing that we've seen in a long time? 
I think that there's four teams in it. I think you would say, yes, we've seen exciting title races before. We've seen ones with three teams, but never quite four. Now, whether it's still four come down to those last kind of couple of fixtures or whether we get down to the two when we go down to the last two fixtures, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I mean, you have to give credit to Manchester United and Manchester City for, for being in there because I think at the start of the season, we were all saying Chelsea, Arsenal, Chelsea, Arsenal. And I mean, when Gareth Taylor made that comment in that press conference, I did, I didn't laugh because that's quite mean, but I did sort of roll my eyes and think, oh, come on, Gareth, like you're not really going to win the title. Just, you know, you're going to get top, you might get top three. <laughs> Who's but, got like, the last laugh now? And and you have to give him credit for, for the fact that they're even in the in the conversation. I think he said that after the game, look, you know, they still have a lot of things to improve to. They're not the finished article by any stretch of the imagination. But the fact that they're in the conversation is really quite, you know, remarkable, really. And, you know, I think it'd be very interesting to see whether they what, what they do against Arsenal. If, if they beat Arsenal, I think, you know, they really are on course there to kind of go and go and go and claim it. Yeah, I think Arsenal probably have the toughest run out of the four because they have to play all top th- all of those three teams. Um, so this is the thing. It was it was always going to be difficult to call. It is generally difficult to call a season because you you have to you can't like foresee how far are different teams going to get in different competitions, who's going to get injured that could massively impact their their season. Um, and the fact I think that Man City bowed out of some of these other competitions earlier means they have one focus and one focus only. Like Chelsea, you're showing us the problems of having too many focuses potentially. Um, so like you said. It's we don't even know what where we're going to be in well maybe not two weeks time because we've only got one W even after this weekend we've got one WSL fixture at the beginning of April and one at the end of April so you don't even know where you're going to be next month it could be we could be in an entirely different position and someone else could have shifted um, yeah every week it's just going to get juicier and juicier and I think obviously it's going to come down I think potentially to that last beautifully arranged uh, and we don't normally give the FA credit for their scheduling of fixtures but the twenty first of May um, that big big top four um yeah we just we just don't know what's going to happen but I think um I mean we've got to give a bit of a shout out to Arsenal uh, and Man United this weekend I mean Arsenal we've been giving them a lot of stick obviously with them you know their sort of clinicalness in front of goal keep talking about Mead and Miedemar being lost but actually we saw Ford we saw Little we saw Blackstenia stepping up and you know really proving that they still have you know incredible reminding us all that they still have this incredible firepower yeah that it is, and I think Arsenal needed a game like that after the Bayern match because I think Arsenal should have beaten Bayern Munich, and I think they had the opportunity to do so, but they just could not find the back of the net, and that's always one of the biggest frustrations with Arsenal. Um, so I think for them to get a match like to, we were all kind of saying like, how is this match against Spurs going to go in between these two key Bayern matches? Are they going to take their eye off the ball? They didn't, and I think they're going to use that game to be a springboard for the game at the Emirates tomorrow night. Um. But we just also have to factor in that it was playing Spurs and Spurs are in a very poor run of form at the moment. So, you know, let's not... You did well, but Spurs are crap at the moment. It's just, so. it's a, it just have to bear that in mind. But I think it is going to be very important for them to say, I can find the back of the net. Blackstenius, I can score absolute crackers. Um, and I think they'll need that, yeah, going in against Bayern. I mean, Catherine, what did you take away from the Arsenal Spurs, Spurs derby? There's no, I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't, it wasn't controversial, was it really? 
No, I mean, Arsenal are far and away superior. Actually, what Rach was just saying about Blackstone is reminding people that can, she can score. We spoke to Jodie Taylor after the game and she was reminding people that she could still play, you know. I think <laughs> she, she's only 36 and I think a few people were like, oh, why have they brought her back? Because she's back, quite James. old. And she was, she was saying to us, like, Look, I'm still fit, I can still play here. And I know she's not in the Champions League squad, but she is another player they can kind of throw on. You talk about Chelsea not having a replacement for Sam Kerr. Like, yes, Jodie Taylor's not the best striker in the league, but she's got experience. She's got you one goal and that one goal ends up being the goal that you know wins you the title what a great piece of business that was so um listen I think Arsenal were again superior against Tottenham no real issues a, a brief moment when when Kate McCabe stuck a hand up to give a penalty away but you know made it interesting for about a few minutes and then Arsenal just came out and said right we'll finish the game did Katie McCabe get booked for that she, d- she didn't. I- importantly she didn't okay because that would have been her fifth yellow card and she would have missed the next match oh I mean, she so, probably should have been booked, yeah, but she didn't. It wasn't you know, like it wasn't intentional. She kind of flinched, and the hand was. She got. She got. So that's interesting and very lucky for Arsenal. Mm. I mean, my God, that could have changed the whole face of the competition. Because Emma Hayes, that she, no, she'll be writing yeah. that down for future reference. Part of me was thinking in the previous game that Katie McCabe just needs to get booked to get to miss the Spurs game and then be back for, for the next one. But no, she got lucky. She got through that. Don't scare us all, Rach. <laughs> Unnecessary from you. Um, just trying to make it even more dramatic on Women's Why Football not? Weekend. <laughs> My gosh. I mean, obviously, we've got to focus a little bit on the fact that Chelsea and Arsenal both do have those uh, Champions League games still upcoming. Chelsea's trip away to Aston Villa after facing Leon three days before is going to be a bit of a shocker to the system with Emma Hayes already saying the team looks sluggish and she didn't say lazy, but I think that's kind of what she was insinuating there. She also said pre-match in her interview with BBC that they, you know, the interviewer is like, you've said this before, but do you relish these moments? And she was like, yeah, the team really relish this when the games are coming thick and fast. What? Yeah, so no, not so much anymore, I don't think. <laughs> not when she loses. <laughs> yeah. It's thick and fast. We we like it when we're winning, but we don't like it when we lose. And Look, it- I understand, like, we always talk, you know, we always talk about loading on this podcast. Um. But these are the teams that are going to be playing a lot of these matches and that's why they bring in the big names and the stars and the depth. Um, And I think probably managers will also be learning how to rotate better and how to manage these loads better because they're also in in a fairly new environment where they have to manage so many fixtures as well. So it's something I'm sure they'll, they'll learn lots of lessons from for next season too. Right. I'm going to put you both to the sword. All right. No more sand flagpoles here anymore. Um, I want to know who you think is going to be the WSL title holder for the 2022-2023 season. Catherine, not to put you on the spot or anything. That that Aston Villa game is horrible for Chelsea after Leon. I, th- I think Aston Villa are going to... Sorry, I thought you were going to say Aston Villa. Aston Villa, <laughs> Aston Villa are we'll going to win the top four. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to have a big say, though, because they've got to play Man United, I think, and Arsenal. So I think they'll have a big say. But I, I, this is so boring. But I, I, just, I just think Chelsea are going to... They've oh. got the nicer run in. If they get through that Villa game, I think they'll just they'll, they'll draw against Arsenal and then win every other game. Oh, Rach, Stunning. come on. Come on, deliver something. Go okay, on. so I think this is almost impossible to predict and I would like it to be someone other than Chelsea. Don't sit on the fence. I'm not going to sit on the fence right. because I put it to the rabbit. I put it to Scotty, who obviously correctly predicted all of England's uh, matches during the Euros and correctly predicted the order that the group England were in was going to finish. Disclaimer, Scotty has a 100% accuracy record. So Fact. whatever Rach now says Fact. is going to happen. Chelsea. Oh, I know. come Look, on. Don't shoot the psychic messenger. Oh, it is what it is. Scotty. Yeah. Fine. Well, I'm going to go spicy. You're going to say Man United. 
I am. Oh my God, I did not see that coming. <laughs> I am. And we will have a pod straight after uh, Sunday the 21st of May and we'll reveal whether Scotty still got it in him. It finishes on the 27th of May. 27th of May. I keep, I keep thinking that is the Listen, to get, Chloe doesn't care what happens afterwards. Okay? I don't care. She doesn't care. By the end of the 21st, she's going to go with that little trophy over there in the corner and she's yeah. going to give it to whoever's at the top of the table after the 21st of May. The 21st of May is my new Christmas. Whatever happens on the 27th is irrelevant. Doesn't matter. By then, it's already, the league's already tied up. Fair. I mean, we've got an now focus, other end of the table, less spicy, but still juicy. See what I'm doing now? These I don't know. I'd culinary. still call it like, you know, like a medium level spice. Like a medium nando Like a green vibe. curry, maybe, rather than like a red curry. Do you know what I mean? All right, I'll go it's with still that. pretty spicy. Okay. Well, there's a lot going on down there. Uh, I mean, <sighs> Reading. Two goals down, draw to Brighton, uh, and then they keep themselves at arm's length of the relegation battle. Uh, I mean, Emma Harry's had an absolute field day, uh, came on half time and produced the business and basically saved, uh, save, saved them. So, yeah, I mean, guys, do you manage to catch this one? I had it on in my ears while I was watching the Aston Villa Leicester game. Um, and yeah, because me and self messaging with each other, being like, oh my God, they're 2 0 down. Oh my God, Reading, blah, blah, blah. Because um, bearing in mind, Brighton have two games in hand on Reading, who are above mm. them. Um, so this could have been a huge win for Brighton. Uh, but yeah, Emma Harris comes on. I'm, I'm surprised she didn't start, to be honest, because a lot of her games where she's played a lot of minutes have been against the top teams, against the big, the big fixtures. She's captained the team as well at some points during the season. So a little bit surprised she didn't start. Um, but my God, did she make an impact. It was like her first touch of the game as well when she came on and scored. Incredible. And I just, that's what I love about Reading is they are so dogged and you never they never know when they're down. Like they will never give up. And I love that about them. That's the resilience. It's resilient Reading rescue. It's like, get down there, Reading. They're like, no, I'm coming back up. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, not going to happen. Like the zombie team. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, they're dead. Wait a minute. <laughs> Oh, did you manage to catch the game at all, Catherine? I mean, what are your thoughts on, on Reading and the sort of Brighton relegation battle at the moment? Yeah, I saw the highlights that I got home from, from City Chelsea. I mean, some of the defending wasn't brilliant um, mm. for, well, for all four of the goals. Um, it was textbook Reading, wasn't it? You know, they go 2 0 down. You just always feel that they're going to come back somehow in those little in those kind of games at the bottom. They're very good at that that bottom of the half table. You know, not losing those games against the teams around them. Mm. And I just think they've got the experience to kind of pull themselves out. You know, we've seen them do it before. Um, Kelly Chambers is a very very experienced manager. I just kind of think they'll have enough to get over the line. Obviously, Brighton have got the games in hand, but I I just think Reading. They've got that grit. They've got that determination. We saw it on Sunday and I think they're going to kind of pull themselves out and be all right. Leicester and Reading play each other next. Oh, that's also a very juicy fixture. That's a tasty one. But I would just say to Reading, you can do it. You've shown you can do it. Do it earlier in the match because you're giving us all heart attacks waiting until towards the end of the second half. Like, my God, I can't imagine sitting on the bench for Reading or like being in the staff or something. My God, you should get like some heart rate monitors on them or something because I just, it must be so stressful. Poor Kelly. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that's quite nice. Like, it, gives, it gives the fans something to watch. If it's well, all done and dusted, Kelly's like pregnant. I, can't, I don't minutes. feel like this is great for her. Like, do you know, that just just do it earlier, Reading, please, for the love of God. Well, why do you think they are starting so slow? What do you think that is about them? What are they, what are they not, why are they not coming out of the blocks fast So enough? I feel like what Reading have often had is, in the past, they've started really well and finished terribly. And now they've turned it on their head and they're 
starting terribly and finishing quite well, just put it all together. Please. It's put it, that simple. Put it all together. Yeah. I think because when we watched the first game of the season against United, they were absolutely hammered in that first first half. I think it was like 3 or 4 nil in the first half. Switch that round and suddenly they started starting better. And it's just, yeah. They're an they're a interesting, fun team to watch. I have a lot of love for Reading and I do hope they stay up. But my God, it must be tough to be a Reading fan. Your heart must be all over the place. Well, not as tough as it is to be a Leicester City fan. I mean, my God. Um... 5-0, Aston Villa. We were giving it big beans in January. We were like, hold on. Leicester seems to have turned around their fortunes. This looks quite positive. Are they going to be making it out of the relegation zone again? Uh, and then had a 5-0 thrash in. Um, yeah, I mean, not completely unexpected. I think the scoreline is unexpected, not the loss. Um, but I mean, it looked like a quite a bright start from both of the sides in, in the game. And I think Leicester were very unlucky not to get um, the, the opener after a really... Oh my God. Great chance and a goal line clearance. Yeah. But, and the first save from Hannah Hampton, she dived, but somehow managed to save it with her trailing leg. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just, oh my, like, yeah, the start of that game, I thought, okay, this could be tasty. Villa were not defending well. And when you look at, I sent, I sent you guys a screenshot of the match stats, like in the 70th, 80th minute. It doesn't, if you looked at those stats, you wouldn't think one of those teams lost 5-0. Mm. Um, Leicester had 51% possession. They had 12 shots, but only three on target. Villa had 11 and seven on target. Mm. There was lit- it was literally the difference of being clinical. That's what it felt like because it didn't feel like Villa absolutely dominated the game. Um, so that's what I find really interesting. I think that's what Willie Kirk will find frustrating was that it wasn't they, like they were beaten all over the park. They they matched Villa in a lot of areas except clinicalness. Um, so yeah, that's it, it is unfortunate for Leicester because that will kind of knock their confidence a little bit. But I also feel they probably went in thinking, you know, we're probably not going to pick up three points here. Well, I mean, Hannah Hampton's performance is probably part of the reason why she's been selected for the squad. Um, She's in flying form at the moment. Yeah, she's not done too badly after that kind of blip last year about sort of maybe mental health battles or injuries or maybe some kind of performance behavioural things. So... Uh, yeah, congratulations to her for making it back into the squad because, um, yeah, that game, if anything, proves how on form she is. Brighton as well, missing out on their first league win since November. Uh, they're on nine points, two ahead of Leicester and two behind Reading, but they've got two games in hand over both. Um, they've got Liverpool, Spurs, uh, Leicester all still to play. And Arsenal, who's one of their games in hand. And just the small matter of fact of Arsenal. Um yeah, I mean, Brighton, I think they're just saved by the point of that, the, the, the six-point potential that they've got at the bottom of the relegation zone, but also not having a great start to the season. I mean, how, how have you found things with, with them? Are you excited about them? <laughs> um, I'm not sure excited is <laughs> the right word. At least they're scoring, which is perhaps you know what Leicester aren't doing. I mean, I was at that Leicester-Tottenham game and they hit the bar and had one cleared off a line literally just before Beth England scored a worldie, and that was obviously the difference. I think at least for Brighton, they are scoring goals defensively they are quite bad mm. um, I think what I always found when Hope Powell was manager you just trusted her to kind of go and grind out a result somewhere like go to a Chelsea and get a nil-nil or go to an Arsenal and get a nil-nil and you just I think I, mean, I think Amy Merrick's is doing a great job um, it's just whether they can kind of do that under her whether they've still got that experience in the squad to be like right we'll go set up no one gets past us grind out a draw I'm not sure they can sort of they've still got that in them at the minute and going 2-0 up and then, you know, drawing a game. It feels like a loss, doesn't it, really, when when you do that. So that will have affected them a little bit. But I think they'll be encouraged by the fact that they are scoring and that they have got that little bit of a gap with Leicester. And it's it's on Leicester. Leicester are the team that have got it all to do. 
they have got a little bit of breathing space, not much, but you know, I, I think they will they will think they can get themselves out of it. I think the biggest frustration with Brighton was to play the way they played against Manchester City and then go to Reading and give up a 2-0 lead. Um, granted, the two goals he scored were also down to some terrible defending. I just think that game in general wasn't great. Yeah. Um, but I think they will be, as as heartbreaking as it was to lose to Manchester City after how they played, I think to draw with Reading will be just as gutting to them because they probably thought we have this game wrapped up. So that will be a frustration and I hope it doesn't come back to haunt them further down the line. Oh, famous last words. Haunting. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. What a weekend it was, Women's Football Weekend. Uh, I mean, it's become such a properly big part of the furniture in the football calendar. Uh, A massive encouragement for people to come out and watch the women's game across all parts of the pyramid. Uh, I mean, that was reflected at Goodison Park. Over 22,000 people in attendance for the first women's Merseyside derby there. Um, I mean, we've got to touch on Matt Beard and his lovely, nice comments. Uh, He had some interesting thoughts after the game about the nature of the rivalry and the need to protect a family-friendly atmosphere. He said, what we don't want is to become like the men's game. No, we don't. Families come to our games and the last thing we want is to create an atmosphere where it's unsettling for the kids. We have to be careful when talking about the rivalry. I don't think it's right. There are a lot of raised eyebrows about this, and rightly so. I mean, Catherine, Ew. you're you, you're grimacing a little bit. What are your thoughts on Matt Beard's comments? No, oh, it's all just friendly, isn't it? Liverpool Everton, <laughs> we're all just friends. No one, no one hates each other at all. Um, I understand where he's coming from because yes, we do get a lot of families at, at WSL matches, but you have to have a bit of rivalry. It has to have a bit of needle in the game, otherwise, what's the point? I mean. You know, I think we're on a very big kind of move at the minute to have more away ends. I don't actually know if there was an away end at Goodison for... I I didn't really... I saw Liverpool fans kind of scattered around. Yeah, there was in one corner, there was a good number of Liverpool fans. So maybe... Maybe that was slightly... And then there seemed to be a few behind the goal when they scored mixed in with the Everton fans, which, I mean, is obviously fine that, you know, nothing kind of kicks off. But it's a so much better atmosphere for the players as well, not just for, for, for us when... You have that away end, you know, at matches. You can have the singing, you know, there is singing in women's football. It's not usually offensive like we maybe see in a men's game. It doesn't need to all be really friendly and like, you know, I, I just found it, it sat a bit, didn't sit well with me, the kind of let's all hold hands and not be, you Lovey know. Lovey-dovey. Yeah. I think in the women's game, we've had a terrible habit of only focusing on one audience and that's been one of the biggest frustrations and I remember over the years how a lot of marketing stuff would be pink and we didn't want to show tackles because we didn't want young girls seeing that and it used to really rile me up because 
so many people watch women's football from all different backgrounds, lots of demographics. And I think that's what makes women's football great is that a lot of people feel welcome uh, in that kind of fan space, which is brilliant. Yes, families are part of that. Great. But that doesn't mean that we don't talk to football fans. Like sometimes we're a bit like people don't actually follow women's football for the football but they do like we kind of changed that narrative a bit where we it, it, you know in the last couple of years we were targeting stop just targeting girls you know let's target football fans let's target fans of the club that's the whole point you know their whole marketing campaign this weekend was pick a pride back aside you know it wasn't get your family down and let's have peppa pig at the ground beforehand who did that someone did that this someone season. definitely did that um so i don't agree with that take i think we can have we can learn from the men's game and there's definitely things we don't want from the men's game but we absolutely want rivalry we want to be talking to fans of the club we want those fans to come to away games we want them to if they get into Champions League we want them to fly and support their club if they can that's not what families are going to do necessarily it's a nice day out for families as well but really for me your main audience should be fans of the club football fans they're the people you want to talk to so I think we can absolutely have away ends we can also have areas where people are happy to all mix in together that's great you know and I think we can foster that in the women's game but this thing of let's be careful about our rivalries I just don't agree with I think we can call out problems when they're there but assuming that there's going to be problems before they've actually happened is just a bit pointless no, I've got to agree. I think, um, yeah, there's a, there's been a massive shift in the kind of our perception of the demographic who are attending these kind of games. Um, like you said, it's not just a kind of like, yeah, flowery type atmosphere where we just have pink and hand-holding. It, it is now, you know, it's men's fans who are coming across, it's older women, it's grassroots teams, it's, yeah, it's younger audiences, but it's young girls and boys, it's older audiences. Um, and I was looking a little bit around the sort of stats that were coming out from the demographic around the uh, the women's Euros. And um, the vast majority of the ticket sales were kind of coming from the 27 to 47 age gap. Uh, but interestingly enough, uh, I mean, half the ticket sales were coming from men and the pre-sale phase was actually about 60% men. So I do think there is that kind of we have to move away from this kind of narrative that it is just a family a family day out, like going to the theatre or going to like the SeaWorld Centre. It's it's not. It's a bloody difficult, aggressive, challenging game. But at the same time, again, I get where Matt Beer is coming from. He's probably been counselled by his media team about not saying things that will, you know, scare away fans and families and that kind of friendly atmosphere. And we we don't want to lose a friendly atmosphere. No, no one's saying, okay, we want all the games to be really aggressive and everyone shouts at each other and there's violence and, you know, things get broken and stuff like that. No one is saying that, but we just want it to be a competitive atmosphere. We saw it with like Man United Arsenal, there was a good crowd at that game at the Emirates and they were chanting songs at each other and, you know, that's fun, like that's rivalry. Um, and you also see it when things like all of that Suman and Ella Toon stuff happened. We don't want to see that in the women's game. Oh, that <laughs> no, me that we bit, don't want to yeah. see that in football. Yeah. I don't want to see that bullshit in football. Not specifically mm -hmm. women because we're soft and gentle and we, we don't want to have that. I hate that narrative. So there are areas that we just need to move. It's football, like it. It is what it is. And yes, we can create and foster a good environment around it and we can learn massively from the men's game. But it's it's almost like if it's not violent and aggressive, then it has to be flowery and friendly. And actually, mm. I think there's somewhere in between where we can be open to a lot of different people who want to come. It can be a nice day out, but equally, it can be a big rival match and the two things can coexist. 
Well, I mean, talking of rivalries and derbies, um, I mean, we might get into the kind of linguistics of this, but I think, you know, one of the points that has been uh, definitely raised, uh, this was an article in The Athletic uh, by Float, a friend of the pod, um, and she kind of commented and said, actually, I don't think the derbies are really derbies. I mean, geographically, they are derbies, the North London derby, Arsenal, Chelsea, but at the same time, because of the lack of competitiveness between these two squads, is it really a derby is it something that you know marketing teams should be throwing all their efforts behind when actually and we saw what happened Arsenal gave Tottenham a spanking I mean is that something should we be classifying these kind of games as a, as a derby do you think Catherine I think it's difficult because I, I kind of look back to last season when Tottenham played Arsenal at home and they drew 2-2 and they were about five minutes 1-1 sorry I had it 2-2 in my head 1-1 and um and they were about a couple of minutes away from winning, I think. And, and then Miedemar scored an equaliser right at the end. And I sat there thinking, wow, you know, Tottenham finally kind of given Arsenal a game. This is a proper derby now. We spoke to Rihanna Skinner after. She's like, yeah, it's a proper derby. And then obviously this season, the aggregate score is 9-1. And you think, OK, maybe, maybe they're actually further away from Arsenal than they ever have been. But I think that's more to do with Tottenham kind of having a bad season, mm. kind of not really showing, knowing kind of what direction to take their team in from kind of being a team that's hard to beat and then trying to maybe play football and failing and then trying to go back to being hard to beat and not being hard to beat. <laughs> um, and I think it was it's more to do with that. So it's it's difficult when the teams at the top are always going to kind of keep spending and keep getting further away from the teams that are in the middle and the teams that are further down the table as well. Um, I don't think you could tell Kate McCabe that it's not a derby or a rivalry because, you know, or someone, or someone like you know, um, Ash Neville. Yeah, exactly. You know, for them, it's still, it's still a derby. It still means something. You know, Vicky Jepsen after the game said we shouldn't be leaving the pitch of a North London derby with this result. She was cl- clearly kind of quite annoyed. But that's unfortunately where the two clubs are in terms of the talent and the and the and the difference between them. So it depends how you defend, you know, define derby. I suppose is it just a case of you know how we feel about the other team. And, and what our feelings towards them are, or, or is it actually kind of how close they are in terms of, you know, on the pitch? And if it's on the pitch, then obviously it's not a derby. But I think if it's about the feeling towards the other team, then yeah, of course it's a derby. It's a derby for me. Oh, God. That was a much easier answer than yeah. the one I but just But like, gave. that's like saying Arsenal <laughs> struggled to beat Chelsea for like three or four years, remember? At one point they got spanked 5-0. That's like looking at that and going, it's not a rivalry anymore. It's not a derby. It bloody is. Like, and I know Spurs are having a really tough season, but it's not just about your derby on the pitch it's about vying for fans you know you you grow up an Arsenal fan you grow up a Spurs fan you you naturally don't like each other um, and I think that's where the derby comes from when you speak to the players they all feel it they all will find that that fixture in the calendar and it gives it an extra edge now like you say Spurs are having a crap season so it doesn't look like much of a, a derby or a rivalry certainly not a rivalry but for me it's still a derby and um, I was speaking to Soph about it and she said like Chelsea Fulham was always considered a derby. Um, but most of the years, maybe not this year, um, Chelsea would absolutely dominate and flatten Fulham. Um, still a derby though. Still hate each other, still don't yeah. like them. Yeah, that's where you get your rivalries. That's where you get, I mean, maybe not Spurs didn't seem to bring that many fans and that's a different argument for me. <laughs> um, Arsenal did, but you hear... Arsenal... What did Spurs bring that weekend? <laughs> well, Beth th- England? <laughs> it's disappointing, isn't it? Like you were saying there, do they bother wasting a load of money putting it on at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium if they know they're going to lose and I think regardless of who they played on Women's Football Weekend they should have put it in the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium they were the club that set the record 
for attendance back in 2019 at the first Women's Football Weekend. 38,000 fans. They only lost 2-0. Mm. That was a good game, you know. That was a good game. Um, so, yeah, I think we should be... I would like to not need a Women's Football Weekend, but at the, at the moment we do, and it's a good opportunity to capitalise and grow the game. So let's all commit to it. You know, 28,000 turned out at Old Trafford. Um, 22,000 at the Merseyside Derby. So I do think we should all be committed to to investing in Women's Football Weekend and I appreciate Spurs probably thought it wasn't going to be that great a game for them but I can see I can see this, the Spurs rationale behind not having that at the Tottenham Stadium I mean you know it does cost hundreds of thousands of pounds to open up the stadium staff lighting pitch whatever marketing um, and obviously I think we were a little bit critical about the lack of marketing for, for this game from, from Spurs' side and the fact that so many Arsenal turned, uh, Arsenal fans turned up and, and pretty much made the crowd what it was. But, you know, and the pitch as well, Brisbane Road, not great at all, has obviously see, received quite a lot of criticism in itself. But, you know, where the budgets, I suppose, are quite limited with the WSL squads, this, uh, you know, Spurs have been notoriously quite tight with their budget over the years. Um, I don't know whether, and given the run of form that Spurs have had, it would have been the best thing for them to market a game in which they probably were going to get spanked. Question for you then. Go on. Who do they play at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? Someone that they have a chance of beating. So you do think... Leicester. Do you you think they're going to bring in the same crowd? Uh, West Ham? Could they go for West Ham? Do you think that's going to bring in the same crowd? If they're playing Arsenal, Chelsea, Man City? Yeah, but you're just heavily reliant on someone else's crowd, aren't you? But it's money. Heavily... If we're talking about the cost and the return, you're going to get far more money in the door if you've got it in a big name. But than that if talks you... to me about building your own good fan base with your own marketing throughout the season, not just waiting for a game like Arsenal I'm not and suggesting... relying on Arsenal's yeah. fans to bring bring an atmosphere. I'm not suggesting waiting, but I just think if you're going to do it, you need to do it with a with an it team that's going to draw a crowd. A more established club. I mean, Villa played Leicester in Villa Park. That's not going to draw a huge crowd. I think they got five or 6,000 at the game which isn't a lot um, but they still did it Listen I'm not back in Spurs not playing a derby game in inverted commas <laughs> at the Spurs stadium because I will always push for women's games at the main stadium But Hey it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I can understand there might have been a little bit of a rationale they around. probably thought the pitch would give them like the advantage. Yeah. <laughs> because they've played yeah. it, what? <laughs> The game the next day was called off. <laughs> That's how bad the pitch was. Oh my! Well, I mean, it's the most similar pitch to the Hive, isn't it? And that was a shit show. Oh my so. god! Thank god we got out of I there. I thought that like their pitch was finally going to not have a comment about you know. Tottenham's Wasn't that the pitch point? Dreadful. Yeah. The MF from the Hive, and it's actually worse. I yeah. thought the point of moving from the Hive was to get a better pitch. Well. Apparently not. Apparently that's actually what Spurs were looking for in their next (laughs) stadium target. Um, Right. I mean, guys, it's obviously a very juicy weekend. It's a juicy week. Still got the Champions League fixtures coming up uh, the next couple of days. Uh, Rach, where are you going to be? Doing both Champions League games, which I'm really excited about. And then I've got West Ham, Liverpool. Nice. On Sunday. Okay. Catherine, where are you, what, are you, what are you up to? Yeah, I'll be at the Emirates and, and Stamford Bridge for both the Champions League games and then Arsenal, Man City on <sighs> Sunday. I only do the big games. Oh, do you get box seats as well, being with a male? 
Um, well, not at Boreham Wood. I don't think they exist oh, at Boreham yeah. Wood. They put <laughs> you in the gantry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Chloe. Oh, Boreham what are you Wood. Up to? Uh, I'm away in Sunderland this weekend oh, with you Palace. Love that trip. Yeah, we won at the weekend, which is amazing. We had a turn. We had a great turnout crowd actually. It was 1,700 fans turned up at Bromley FC, which is a record for us. Brilliant. So that was amazing. Uh, but yeah, we got Sunderland away. I'm hoping the pitch won't be frozen. <coughs> Sunderland. Um, yeah, and then I think I'll just be like living my best life on the bus on the way home. Probably get back on Sunday about what, one o'clock in the morning. Listening and... to the youth's tunes. Youth's tunes. What <laughs> are you, you listening to so now, youths? It's not Boomblade. <laughs> Turn it off. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to write in to us and let us know what the youth are listening to, that'd be great just so that I can have something to talk to the players about this Also, weekend. I'd like to say thank you to, I think it was Adam who gave us the name for the fan van that we'd been so desperately yes. looking for. And it was called uh, Vanny Vanderhonk. So <laughs> that was excellent and Ethic. that was what she was called so thank you so much for that you've actually labelled mm. the van that now yes. that's the official official name fantastic Fanny van der Honk yeah. fantastic yeah. oh wow I mean what a better way to end you just can't you can't <laughs> write those endings <laughs> thank you for listening to today's episode of Upfront if you've got any questions for us please do tweet us at Football Ramble Rachel's at Girls on the Ball and I am at Morgie underscore 89 we will see you next week Upfront is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.